So tonight, oh well, let's also do the Refua Shlema Nirila as well, even though we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. So Refua Shlema, Bezat Hashem, let's do this class uh, for the speedy uh, and fast recovery of David Ben Phoebe, David Ben Phoebe, Rivka Bat Rachel, Rivka Bat Rachel, Natanel Simcha Ben Chava, Simcha Ben Chava, Yosef Ezriel Ben Chaya Michal. Amen. You just say the names all. Anita Ben Shoshana, Abib Adina Batfani, Benjamin Ben Gittel, Ruven Avram Ben Mazal, Flora Devora Bat Eshbat, Sarah Miriam Bat Sarah, Yitzchak Meir Ben Shoshana, Sarah Ross, Bas Nechamadina. Mordechai ben Motam. Mordechai ben Motam. Avraham Yaakov ben Sara. 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 Avraham judgments and nishpatim that come from these holy tzaddikim they sweeten the judgments on these people uh, and Bezat Hashem we do this class also for the Ilula for the for the memory of the passing of Miriam Bas Moshe Mordechai Aram Rafi Ben Phoebe Yechetzko Baruch Ben Avram Halevi Ben Shmuel Ben Harav Yaakov Shai Lilian Rachel Bat Aram Aram Shai Yaakov Ben Avram and to all the holy Jews that have passed away, Bezat Hashem, Tinishpatam Nishamosh, have peace and uh, be reconnected in the circle of life with Hashem. Um, and tonight, Baruch Hashem, we're going to do a class that is Q&A. So, the only thing I'm going to say to preface this class, it's the only important thing that needs to be said, is that um, it's obviously going to be a more conversational class for everybody to jump in. And I think it's just the best way to explain it is that it should really just be an expose for people to just share ideas and share conversations. Like Yosef and I were talking before the class that it's kind of like how a person's gonna have a question, sometimes the answer to the question, especially if it's spiritual questions or life-directed questions and not technical halachic questions, because if it's a technical halachic question, I was explaining that I'm definitely not the most well-advised people to answer those questions. There's obviously Chabanim that are experts in halacha to be able to answer those questions. So if I get a question that's directed in halacha, or if the question requires halachic knowledge, then I'll direct you or we'll talk after, we'll, we'll talk to another rabbi or whatever. Um, just to confirm halachot or things like that. But the most important thing is that sometimes some of these questions are going to, just the working through the question is the important part. Because some of the questions are not going to have answers. And some of the questions we have, even personally, and some of the questions we might not even want to bring up, whether they're private or whether they're public enough to be able to share with others, this happens often where we don't get answers right away. And part of life is being able to dissect and work through the questions because the answer, the answer will either eventually come 
or the point is not to get the answer, but in the work that you do to be able to try to figure out eventually an answer. So it's a little bit complicated, but, and it's not always the answer that people want to hear, uh, but we'll try to do it. Also, another point to be able to bring up as well is that some of these questions, obviously, some people over here might be able to answer. Some questions I suggest asking friends, family, other people as well, because other people are well-equipped to be able to answer these questions as well. And Hashem knows very, very well how to bring up the right questions in front of the right people, that's the right people that you're talking to and under the right circumstances, with the right intentions, if your heart is directed in emet, if you're looking for the real nishpat, if you're looking for the right judgment and the right way of going about through things, hopefully, as, less, as referenced in Kutemah Lesson 1, about how when a person looks for the right in the sechel of every single thing, he's directed towards getting the right answers that he needs in life. If he's directed with the right intentions and to the right things, he achieves this level of chen, this grace, to be able to see the right things that are happening in his life. And he can merit through the light of the Torah to be able to see this light and get answers in his life. So, Bezat Hashem, in the merit of the Torah, in the merit of Tefillah, in the merit of all the Tzadikim, in the merit of all these things, we'll jump into some questions and we'll talk about things that have been, you know, perplexing people either in, in Breslev Chasidut or in Judaism in general or random ideas about getting close to Hashem. But all of them should essentially, all the questions should lead us directly towards Hashem. So, I have a couple questions that I have on my piece of paper that people sent me. Um, I'll try to get to them uh, and try to be fair for the people that message me as well. But I'll give also priority to the people that are here. So if there's anybody that has a direct question that wants to bring it up, then we can start here. If not, I'll just move directly to the questions that I have and then people could jump in as they feel that they want to. Yeah. Um, what is the balance yeah. between Emuna and Hishtad? It's still a lot tougher than I thought this was going to be because there's no preparation for any of this. Normally, if someone were to text me a question, I'd be like, all right, let me think about that. If there's some ideas that come to me right away, I'd just be like this. If anybody also has thoughts, I encourage everybody to jump in, share their own ideas. We'll all talk. Um, and, and some of these things, also another important thing to say is that there has to be a certain sense of humility to realize that even though I'm, you know, we run the class and I show up here and I try to, you know, bring some Torah that I learned and mostly bring Torah from the tzaddik. Um, I want people to know that it takes a certain sense of humility to be able to sit here and even say on a certain level that I'm going to sit here and people are going to ask questions and I'm going to try to answer it. So I'm not pretending at all that I have any answers. Any of the information that I'm sharing will come primarily sourced from the works of Tzadikim. So if you're getting an answer from me, you can assume that you're getting an answer based on the teachings or a derivative of the teachings that come mainly from the holiest Tzadikim in history. And that's where I want to root all my answers. If I can, I'll provide a source. If I can't... Um, then I'll let you know this is from what I understand from what the readings um, dictate. So to jump right in, the difference and really the lines and the boundaries between emunah and hishtadlut, right? And for those that are listening, right? Emunah talking more about faith and hishtadlut more in the actions that you take um, for things that you need to happen in your life. Where do you draw a line? So let's do this. With every question we get, let's break it down a little bit into the ideas that make up the question, right? So emunah, we're primarily going to talk about the responsibility of a Jew to have faith that Hashem is essentially doing what is right in a person's life, okay? And the reason why you have emuna is because you're in a circumstance that requires you to not know the right direction that you need to take. Therefore, you need emuna. Therefore, you need to have faith because if you knew what you needed to do, or if you knew clearly that Hashem was in front of you, or if you knew the solution to a problem you have, you wouldn't be asking or you wouldn't be saying, I need faith. You would just be saying, okay, listen, I had a halachic question, my rabbi gave me an answer. You don't say, I had emunah in this question that I had and the rabbi gave me an answer, 
right? Or I didn't figure that out. So emuna already the basis of emuna is the foundation of saying, I need Hashem here, and I require Hashem's help to be able to get through this circumstance, okay? Now, hishtadlut is you deciding, I'm going to now take a step towards the answer, or I'm going to take a step that I think is right. So my first suggestion would be, everything you need to do needs to be founded in the idea, and we discussed this last week, in the idea of every decision I'm going to make, I can do one thing or another thing. Either one, I can take a step closer towards Hashem, or I can take a step further away from Hashem, with every decision and every moment, okay? Now, if I'm going to be, for example, tasked in a question of hishtadlut that has to do with Kedusha, for example, whether or not I were to spend time right now in prayer or reading Likutei Tefilot or reading Tehilim, as opposed to sitting down and studying Torah, it's a very complicated question. Because the question is, what does your seder look like? What does your time look like? Is there anything that can be spent um, in that time? Because you're doing two different types of mitzvot. The question is, which mitzvah is worth more? How you should be spending your time? It's complicated. The truth is that in a question of Kedusha, it's not very easy to be able to get an answer like that. And then your hishtadlut would be the equivalent, and the imunah would be, I don't know which decision to take. I need help from Hashem. The hishtadlut would be, I'm deciding now and taking a step towards picking one or the other. A more common example when people talk about emunah versus hishtadlut is, for example, I need to pray for parnasah, or I need help with work, or I need to go find a job. How much time do I spend in faith and prayer? And how much time do I actually spend online emailing people, going out to job interviews, doing meetings, and how much time do I spend with my actual action? Let's focus a little bit more on the second one, because the first one I think is a very high level where you're dissecting what the right moments are in Kedusha of how to spend your time. So we could spend time on that, but let's, because I think most of the time when people are talking about Emunah and Hishtadlut, they're talking about more material matters. Mm -hmm. So let's focus a little bit on that. Like I said, every single moment that you need to be doing something, you're making a decision, you need to always think your North Star is, am I making a decision right now for Hashem? for the honor of Hashem? Do I bring Hashem's glory into the world with this decision or with my test or with whatever I'm dealing with? Or am I doing something for myself? So if your hishtadlut is rooted in a decision that you're doing because you care about what people think or because you care about your own honor or you care about things without factoring in the honor of Hashem, immediately your hishtadlut is not correct. It doesn't matter if you prayed or not because we're looking at things directly of what you need to actually be doing. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying founded in this type of way. I'm not saying that there isn't kindness or empathy or Hashem doesn't empathize with a person that, that is dealing with a difficult situation. Of course he does. But what I am saying is that the root of Hishtadut has to be rooted that every moment that you're gonna ever make an action, it has to be I'm holding Hashem's hand with me and I'm right now going to walk in this path knowing that every decision I'm making is rooted in Torah and mitzvot and that I'm doing this only for the sake of Hashem. Now, with that mentality, in Breslev Chasidut, there's an inyan that tefillah is hishtadlut. Okay? Yes. Which is a very different concept than what most people understand and most people study. Now the chasidim, and there's many stories of this, if you look at the stories of Rav Zusha, chasidim at the time of the Baal Shem Tov, right? If you look at the Magid, if you look at many chasidim that come out from the Baal Shem Tov as well, they have a lot of these types of different types of understanding of how to act as a Jew, is that we believe that sitting down and praying the same way that the Jews were at the sea, right? And there's Rabbi Nachman's Torah 198 that we discussed last week about this, that Moshe says, that Hashem said essentially, Hashem answered them and he said, now pass. Essentially, now continue walking, right? And so, Unkulus even says, Hashem answered their tefillot and this is what really allowed them to now continue and pass. And Moshe, Moshe's first reaction to the circumstance of his difficulty, which was at the sea and the Jewish people are now, they don't know if they're gonna survive or not. They don't know that the sea is gonna split, right? That's a miracle that happened after. 
So when you're faced with the trouble, you don't know what's going to happen. The first reaction is tefillah. That's what I would say as a first practical piece of application. Okay, this is not only one emuna, because tefillah is emuna. Okay, by the way of how a person outstretches his hand in tefillah, this is also corresponding to emuna and having faith. And emuna is directly correlated to tefillah, as referenced in the Secondly, from that, tefillah is an actionary capacity that a person has in where they engage and they are begging Hashem because they are relying on Hashem to be able to run the show for them. Remember, we've had this idea that Hashem will do as much as you let Him do in your life? So if, for example, a person wants Hashem to be able to um, take care of his parnasah for him, then Hashem will do whatever is necessary to be able to take care of a parnasah for him. But if a person feels that they themselves need to be the one that need to do a certain amount of work that needs to happen in their world, then they themselves are going to take on that type of work. So let's give a famous example from the Torah. The most famous example of when this exists is actually in the, is in the stories of the man, right? So the parash, in Parashat Aman, and in the story of the man, we learn from the Midrashim, we learn from the Chachamim, that the Jewish people would receive their man, they would receive their bracha, and they would receive of what their portion of what they need to sustain themselves, which was, by the way, food. The different Midrashim, by the way, brought in Shemot, explained that the Jewish people, they would receive, the women would receive also jewelry with the man and stuff like that. So the Mithashim say it's not just that they received food and stuff and then it whistled away at the end of the day. They would receive all the benefits of everything that they needed. It's a reference to Parnasa, it's a reference to everything. So the question is, and the Midrash brings this down and the Zohar brings this down, they explain that essentially when the Jewish people were receiving the man, the man would come to the person based on their level of emunah. So what does that mean? It means that if you were a Jew of a very, very high level of emunah, and you believe that Hashem brought the man to your door, the man showed up at your door. And then there's other Jews that they had to travel and they were walking in the desert to find their man. And they would sometimes walk for a full day to go get their man. It's actually kind of funny how today people do business and we know, and we know from the Gemara and from the Chachamim, that Hashem provides for every single Jew and the man is the proof to this. And they say that every single Jew should understand that Hashem provides for every single one of them. And they shouldn't put their faith in man, they should put essentially their faith in Hashem. So the question is, if Hashem provides for you, he says today, and Rabbi Nachman brings this down kind of as an acted, as an anecdote, Rabbi Nachman essentially says that there's Jews today that they have the exact same story as the man in the Torah. That they believe that the Panasa comes to their door, they'll do very little hishtadlut. And listen, it might be by, by very bizarre means. Maybe it's someone dropping off a check because a person is sustained by a person they study in yeshiva. Who knows how the person is making their money? Or whether a person is receiving their panasa because they need to travel to China to be able to go work in China. Some people have to travel the whole globe to be able to make their panasa. Some people need to walk down the block. Some people need to walk down the street. Some people need to wait years to be able to receive one paycheck. In the stories of the Baal Shem Tov and, and stories of people that used to pass along with the Hasidim, you hear stories about how people used to work six months to be able to receive one payment for their family. Their whole life depended on this one trade show that they had to go to, and then they lost all the money, and then there was this whole story about how they get the money back, right? People... Their moments of what they're dealing with and their hishtadlut, it depends on their level of emunah. So the hishtadlut and the emunah, let's take it now back to a practical level. A first Before piece of advice. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Would it be fair to say that a person's hishtadlut is tied in with their mazal? Because yeah. how could you... It's tied with their mazal. Because if you're going to receive, no matter how much you hishtadlut, mm -hmm. you have a certain amount of mazal that you can receive. It. The... So mazal, to be honest with you, the, the mazal, to be honest with you, I'm going to veer away from some subjects. This is like, because mazal starts entering into a space 
where Jews, first of all, are above the level of mazalot. So there's a certain amount of, of reward and, and benefit that people receive in this world, mystically speaking, capitalistically speaking, that the goyim receive, and this is all predetermined. This is all predetermined at Rosh Hashanah, essentially. Yeah. Now, Jewish people are actually above this, mm -hmm. and these things can change. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Doesn't it say clearly that actually prayer change whatever you're supposed to receive? Exactly. So that's, that's why. I, that's, that's why. I, that's why I. That's why I want to veer away from it because I don't want to say that there's a quantifiable le level of parnasa that a person is supposed to receive every single year, and that never changes, and that cannot be changed, and therefore. Whatever you're going to do, there's no point because whatever you're going to receive, you're going to receive. Yeah, but she said that prayer has to do with mazal. So technically, no, no, no. no, no, no. She was saying that, that she was saying that your prayer can change what you're supposed to receive receive based on your mazal. So that for sure has to do with mazal and prayer because if you could change, it's connected. It. But we don't. But we don't know. For example, it's like saying like a person has this special code that's above a person's head. Yeah. And above there, there's a dollar and there's a number sign, right? So let's say above my head, it says $1.5 million. And uh. I don't know, right? We don't know if that's good. We don't know if that's bad. By the way, some of that comes with tests. Some of that comes with certain levels. Now, the way I look at it and the way I explain it to people is that our nishamot are constantly changing levels every second. Yeah. It's either we're getting closer to God or further away from God. And by the way, it doesn't mean that if you get closer to God, then that means that number goes up. Sometimes you get closer to God, that number goes down. So we don't know the way that works. Now... Mazal has to do with different types of things. Also, and mazal, mazalot and stuff like that is a very, very mystical subject, which is, it, it comes from different places and different types of worlds of how people are meriting of things. Some people are born and they're specifically going to have a rich life because their nishamot is meant to have a test that brings them through a form of richness. And some people are meant to be poor. We have stories from the Gemara of this, yeah. from certain Rabbanim that were very poor, some that were very rich, and they could receive everything in wealth if they wanted to, and they could have changed everything, but they didn't want to. Rabbi Nachman has many stories about this. He has many discuss discussions into these ideas. So what we're going to do is we're not going to try to change our mazal. I don't like it when I hear stories about how people will say like, oh, I was supposed to... You could change, for example, who you're supposed to marry. Rabbi Nachman brings it up in Sefer Amidot as he brings it up as a segula and also as an idea that through a person's tefillah, he can change who he's supposed to marry. That is in a good positive type of way. For example, if a person's changing in level and they're receiving higher forms of light and they're receiving an upper level of their nishama or they're receiving things that they were not supposed to be receiving and they're doing things that are great through their free will, which we cannot understand, then that person will merit a different nishama wow. to be married to. Same thing with money, same things with jobs, same things with tests, same things with relationships, same things with experiences in this world. All that stuff changes. But because the Mazarot, we cannot work with, we cannot verify, we cannot confirm we cannot test. We don't know these types of secrets so in the world. I would say let's focus away from it, but let's focus on the principles that that matter. It is something that matters, of course, because your mazal affects what you will make or what you can make or things like this. Yes. But um, it's not relevant into how you should change your approach. Meaning that here, let me explain by the by the couple practical things. For example. When a person is faced with a decision that they need to make and they're wondering what type of ishtadut they should do, mazal should not factor into that even 1%. One, 1%. And the reason why is because knowing your mazal or not knowing your mazal should have nothing to do with the way you react. Your reaction should always be the same. The closer you are to Hashem, the more you rely, you rely on Hashem. The less close you are to Hashem, which is okay because everyone on their own level, the less you rely on Hashem and the more you feel like you need to move. Right, the only reason you are moving is because you feel that Hashem is not going to take care of it for you, so you need to take care of it yourself. What we need to do is we need to get out of that mentality as much as possible because none of us have perfect emuna. None of us are going to say right now, I'm going to stay in my home and I will never move ever again and I will always have food on my table, 
thing to eat, my wife will come to me and she'll come to me in my own house. We don't think like that, right? There is a level of emunah that exists like that. There are stories that are like that. But we're not trying to, we're not trying to compare ourselves to that because it's, it, everything is done in steps. So first practical piece of advice, anytime faced with a situation, first thing I would do is I would immediately take it to tefillah and eat bodhidut. The number one reason why I say take it to eat bodhidut and go do a meditation, go speak to Hashem, is because you're doing two things. Number one, you're focusing more on the emunah, and you're focusing more on the, I direct myself towards Hashem because I understand that Hashem is here. I understand now in my conversation with Hashem in my bodhidut that I'm gonna explain to him where my lack of faith comes in. For example, all right, I need to go get a job. I'm struggling to find a job. I'm out of college, whatever it is, I need to go find a job, but it's very, very difficult to find a job. So you start telling Hashem, listen, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I feel the pressure of like, I have friends that have work. I have friends that have more money. Um, I wanna be able to make my parents proud. I have a degree. There's a lot of pressure and social pressure. I wanna feel like I'm not being a waste of my time, but it's not easy. There's not that many people that are hiring right now. And you start expressing yourself. But the difference between going online and looking for the job versus explaining to Hashem the difficulty that you're going through is in one scenario, literally in pshitut, you're telling Hashem, I need your help for this, as opposed to, I'm going to act. Now, eventually you will get to a point where you need to act. And my point in transition from there is that once you get to that point where you need to act, that is where you start saying, okay, Hashem, now I'm going to start to act. And Rabbi Nachman says this in the lesson, I'm trying to think about which lesson this is. He essentially says after, actually, it's slightly referenced in the lesson that we had about the splitting of the sea from last week, which is 198 of Likutim in part two, where it says after a person's tefillot are prayed, now a person must move. And what Rabbi Nachman's teaching us in this little, very short lesson of Likutayman is he's saying, after the tefillot are answered, now Moshe was directed by Hashem and told the Jews to move. The reason for that is that after you've done your tefillah and after you've done your yibodidut, you have now done actually hishtadlut. And now, because you have done hishtadlut, now whatever decision you're making is actually the right decision. And you cannot doubt even for a second that the decision you made is not the right one. Because so, you did tefillah first. Exactly. So once you now include Hashem in the beginning, now when you move, the decision you're making, it's not like, oh, I'm moving and I'm hoping that my hishtadut is correct. No, no, your hishtadut is perfect. Hashem it wanted you to do exactly what you did. Hashem gave you the idea that now after one day or one week or one hour of hidbodidut, that now it's time for you to move and now he gave you the direction. He said, pretty much go ahead, move. You're like the Jew at the splitting of the sea. You're, you're surrounded, you don't know what to do. But you need, the, you need a miracle, you need something to happen for you to do it. And he even says in the Gemara that splitting of the sea is like being able to bring Parnassah to a Jew. It's the same thing also with being able to bring Zivug. So the idea is that we need to pivot our mentality from this feeling of like, I'm the one in control, to Hashem's the one in control. And it's just, it's a very, very difficult space to be in. Yeah. But we need to try as much as we can to just put more marbles in the Hashem's in control category and not me in control. And whenever you need to move, you need to get into a position, whenever you are moving, that you get into a space that the decision that you're making, you're bringing Hashem with you into those decisions. Those are the practical pieces of advice that I would do with that. But then how much movement do you have to do in order for it to be on a balanced way where you're not doing too much work and overworking yourself and realizing Hashem runs the show? This is the, this is the important of Yibodidut. Yibodidut is the constant check-in with Hashem. So you do your ibodidut, you talk to Hashem, you have emunah, then you're like, okay, Hashem, I'm now, let's take the job example, right? So you tell Hashem after your ibodidut of one day, when you do your, your ibodidut daily, and you talk to Hashem and you tell him, listen, Hashem, um, I got to look for this job. 
tomorrow morning around 9 a.m., I'm going to start looking for jobs. So I'm going to start doing it this way. But please help me out because I know that it's going to be a little bit difficult and I'm actually applying to this company and I know that they have a very difficult recruiting process and I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer the questions properly and stuff like that, but help me at least get in touch with the right person. And if it's not the right company, please don't waste my time because I don't want to be doing things that are going to either make it difficult for me or bring any difficulty towards my life for me to go spend two months in interviewing and then not get the job. And that way, when you're interviewing with them or you're messaging them or you're calling the person tomorrow, it's not every decision that you're making is involving Hashem. So if Hashem wants you to go through a two-month tikkun over there, there's a reparation that's happening in there that you completely accepted it. Mm -hmm. And if you're also having this tefillah and Hashem has rachamim because of your tefillah that you bring down proper rachamim into the world and you bring down a specific glory of Hashem that only was brought down because you spoke these words to Hashem, then Hashem will say, you know what, he was supposed to go through this test of two weeks having to look for this job, but now we're going to remove this test from him. And he won't have to do it. Immediately, they'll decline his emails. You're not going to understand why they don't answer you. So you might actually take it as something negative. It's part of you to then show up to a Hibodidut the next day and say to Hashem, listen, Hashem, I know they didn't answer my emails for the last couple of days, but I believe that this is for the best. Obviously, it's not the right job for me. So I respect that and I understand that. I'm hoping that the next job that I applied to or the right place that you want me to be at is going to be the right one. So you're doing this constant it's this aspect of constantly checking with Hashem because the whole process is about bringing Hashem into it. In the end, no matter what you're going to do is all good. You can literally tell me in this scenario, you spend one minute in, in Hidbodidut and one minute in Tfilah and 99% of the time in Hishtadlut, if you have this mentality, I would still say it's good. Wow. Because the mentality and the purpose of what you're doing is good. Then after that, it's just about directing it properly. It's just about pulling the levers the right way. But intention is so important. Because a person can do the, the same thing, one minute of Hishbodidut and 99 minutes of Hishdadlut, and it could be completely perverted. It could be literally the exact same thing, but the words can be completely different. I think what's very important when you do it is that you don't focus on the results. You just do whatever you need to do and you trust. Because the minute you're going to do and you're going to feel that Hashem is not answering, you're going to have issues. I think you need to just yeah. talk to Hashem about whatever issue you have. The result says clearly that in prayers, if you haven't prayed for something that you have received, it's not good. You need to pray for everything you receive in life. So it's about your job, it's about your life, it's about everything. But we need to stop focusing on the result. We need to just talk and let Hashem direct because that's the most important thing. We have a tendency to much to focus too much on the result. Yeah, I, I will say one other I will say one other thing. Sometimes the answer from Hashem also is no. Right? Some people don't realize this, but sometimes people ask a question and they expect that the answer is going to be yes. For example, Hashem, I want a million dollars this year or I need more money or I want health this week, or I'm trying to recover from this, right? People are saying, like, people have COVID, they're praying to Hashem, I want to recover quickly. Hashem is saying sometimes to people, the answer is no. And people need to, it, it's something very difficult to be said, but we don't understand the reasoning behind that. Some, but I'm not saying that the answer to the recovery of the health is no, and that's a good answer. I'm saying if Hashem's the saying, you know, it's obviously a good answer, the question is why. But only in Hidbodidut can you do this introspection of being able to look at the thing and dissect it and say, Hashem, I want to understand. I want to I wanna know. I want to get to know you a little bit better. There is no other way to really get to know Hashem in all circumstances other than this. This is why Abin Nachman put this at the climax of this is the ultimate, the, the epitome, the epitome of being able to get close to Hashem. 
Because like I said, if we're on this earth to be able to do, get closer to Hashem or to achieve our tikkun and to get holiness and to bring Hashem's glory into the world, right? The only way to do that is to build a relationship with Hashem and to do what Hashem wants of us. And how do you do that? Okay, well, you got to talk to Hashem. You got to build a relationship with Hashem. So I'll actually move to a question that someone messaged me and then we'll pick up with some other questions because I want to I wanna try to get as many people as possible. Um, we can jump back in, by the way, and you can ask more questions as well. But actually, it made me think about the one that someone messaged me because someone messaged me a question about Hidbodidut. So I'll bring up the question on Hidbodidut. The question that I got on Hidbodidut was that when you do Hidbodidut, is it supposed to be a prayer or a conversation that you're having with Hashem that essentially is it a one-way conversation and question mark is it a one-way conversation and question number two part two of the question is Hashem essentially responding to your questions or how does Hashem respond to your questions so it was a very good question and it's a question that's very applicable and it's a question that every single person feels when they enter into Eid Bodhidut because your natural inclination is that when you're going to take a moment to take time out of your day to be able to spend time to go speak to Hashem in the words of Rabbi Nachman as one would speak to his best friend, right? And to approach it that type of way. There's a lot of reasons. We could talk about that right now about why he talks about best friend. There's a certain amazing level of the grandiose of Hashem to be able to reveal Hashem into the world as a best friend that never existed before. Rabbi Nachman unlocked a door of being able to recognize Hashem in a way that no tzaddik in the history of the Jewish people ever, ever unlocked this door. So let me give you an example to this and I'll get into answering this question. And even though it's not directly related to the question, it's very important to understand because it's important for you to do it. Every tzaddik throughout the history, and we brought this up in the classes before, every tzaddik, very big tzaddik, I'm not talking about a random tzaddik of a generation, I'm talking about a very big tzaddik. They revealed a certain godliness of Hashem. So we know this from the Torah, and we know this from the Kabbalah, that, for example, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, they revealed a certain light of Hashem. The main names of Hashem that the Avot revealed Hashem's glory into the world was by the names of Kel Shakai, okay? And then in the beginning of Parashat, I don't know why I'm blinking on this. I think it's Vayra. In the beginning of Vayra, in, in, uh, in the Sefer Shevot, Hashem says to Moshe, I'm not going to reveal myself to you by the same way I revealed to the Avot, essentially Avam Yitzhak and Yaakov, by Kel Shakai. I'm going to reveal to you by the name of Yudke Vavke, right? So Moshe revealed a certain sense of, very simply, more Rachamim, a different way that Hashem manifests and runs the world. You have different ways that Hashem revealed himself to Moshe by the burning bush of Eki Asher They're different names of Hashem. When you call people by different names, you call them by different light, by different character. You call your dad. When your dad receives a phone call by a coworker or a friend, he gets called by his first name. When you call your dad, you say dad. You don't say him by his first name. There's a certain degree of respect. Sometimes you act differently with your brother than you act with your friend, than you act with your cousin, than you act with your mom. Why is that? It's different forms of life. It's different forms of communication. It's different ways of expressing yourself. Now, Hashem reveals more and more of himself as time goes on. There's a lesson in the Kutemuran that talks about this. That Sadiqim over history revealed more and more for us to understand Hashem. This is the greatness of the Baal Shem Tov. He revealed to us a way of understanding Hashem 300 years ago that without understanding this, the whole world would, be, would have been destroyed. You guys were actually talking about this before the class, you and my mom. Um, Rabbi Nachman did the same thing. Rabbi Nachman was probably the last, the last greatest revelation of this magnitude that said, essentially, after me, there is no great, there's no great chidushin that will come down from the world of the level of where he brought chidushin down. We know Rabbi Nachman brings down a Torah, the Likutei Maran. There's lessons in Likutei Maran that come down from a 
a level that, that he tapped into that was higher than the level of Moshe Rabbeinu where he received the Torah. This is very mystical, so we're not going to go too much into all this type of stuff. But there's lessons in here that come from worlds that are so high up that they have reparations in them. Like the Zohar, for example, the Zohar is a reparation. Even the Arizal says that there's not a bigger reparation for the Nefesh, the lowest level of the Neshma, than just reading five pages of Zohar a day. Or Tikkunei Zohar as well. He says, I think he brings that down in one of his books. The Arizal says, just literally reading. You don't have to understand it, just read it. It's the highest reparation of, of what can happen for your Nefesh. How is that possible? Not saying a bracha, just literally reading words that you don't even understand. It's because the Zohar has a medicine to it. It is constructed in a way that's so holy because it comes from so much divine inspiration. It revealed so much light of Hashem, Rabbi Shimon Yochai, that nobody else revealed this type of light of Hashem. And then eventually many tzaddikim revealed this. We, all in this world today, have the capacity to reveal through our own light and the revelation of finding out who we are and our purpose in this world, we can reveal more light of Hashem as well. It's actually beautiful because it actually connects to the parasha. So I'll share a little bit on the parasha in connection with this answer. We learned from Yitro, and it's brought down in lesson 10, and my little brother Moshe actually sent, even though he's not here tonight, so Baruch Hashem would give a little bit of a connection because he's my partner in crime over here with these classes. Moshe said that there's a lesson that we learned from Rabbi Nachman and something very beautiful if someone wants to share a little bit of this week with family and friends. Parashat Yitro is named after Yitro, right? Yitro, Melech Midian, a person that worshipped the most idols ever in history. Rashi said there isn't an idol on earth that he didn't worship. And there's a famous question. How on earth is a parasha named after a person that worshipped every single idol? And why do we give him this much kabod? And Rabbi Nachman in lesson 10 answers this question to a certain degree. And he pretty much teaches us very simply that this idea that Hashem, every person based on what we're saying, reveals the glory of Hashem. But Yitro revealed, and this reference is something that's written in the Zohar, Rabbi Nachman brings this quote from the Zohar as a source. He says that Yitro revealed a magnitude and a light of Hashem's glory in the world greater and something that hasn't existed before up until that time. How is that possible? So now so you have another question. From going to serve idols to showing up to Hasinai and saying Hashem is one and revealing Hashem's glory in the world. Wow. How is that possible? So we ask that question. Rabbi Nachman asks that question. And Rabbi Nachman explains an incredible Hidush. Yeah. He says Hashem's light is brought down in this type of a magnitude whenever people that are far away from him come close to him. And because Yitro was so far away, a person that worshipped every single idol, believed in everything except for Hashem, came to a place of recognizing only Hashem, which is kind of connected to the Yishadut thing, right? You go from a place of not seeing Hashem to seeing Hashem, there's nothing that brings God's glory into the world more than this. That's why the parasha is named after him. We can obviously talk about a lot of different chidushim and a lot of different ideas, but that's just something small. Now back to Hidbodidut, right? This idea of being able to find Hashem and being able to do this whole process. It's incredible because there's, like I said earlier, tzaddikim revealed. Now there's a famous story, and I'll try to make this short, about how Rabbi Natan at the very beginning when he met Rabbi Nachman, I shared this in the class once, when he came to meet Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Natan was confessing to his Rav, it's very famous with many people that have the Rabbanim, that they confess to them, they talk to them about their problems, they talk to them about the things, we should do this amongst friends, it's also good to talk to your friends, ask for advice. Um, because it's good. It's called Sichat Chaverim. Rabbi Nachman talks about it a lot. It brings down divine inspiration. Hashem comes to help. Tzadikim come to participate. Rabbi Nachman says, when two of my followers come down, I come to participate and help them. Mm-hmm. So, we get to this point where Rabbi Natan comes to see Rabbi Nachman and he starts confessing to his Rav. He tells him, listen, I have all these problems and this and back home, they don't want to accept me because I keep traveling to you and stuff like this. And then all the people are saying, how are you following this person? Rabbi Nachman is very young at the time. Right? And... 
I think he was 30 when they first got close with Rabbi Nathan. Um, and so the beauty of this is that <clears throat> you actually get to this incredible situation where Rabbi Nachman, at the end of Rabbi Nathan expressing himself to Rabbi Nachman, he turns to him and he says, why don't you go talk to Hashem the same way you talk to me? And Rabbi Nathan comes back many years later and he explains to people, I didn't understand in the moment what had happened, but let me explain to you what had happened. Every tzaddik in the history of the Jewish people, they opened up doors and they showed us more of Hashem. David HaMelech referred to Hashem as a mother, as a kind person. We learned through Tehidim how to come to Hashem and pray to Hashem in a different type of way. When you read Tehidim and you have a compassion, we learn this only because of David HaMelech. The Ramachal, big tzaddikim, we learn things from these tzaddikim. He said, you look at Moshe Rabbeinu, we talked about Kel Shakai with Yavot, we talked about different types of names of Hashem and what Hashem represents. He says, never in the history of the world, never in the history of the world, has people, have people been able to come and speak to Hashem as if they were speaking to their best friend. Rabbi Nachman in that moment showed me that you can talk to Hashem as if Hashem is your best friend. And nobody else ever showed me this. He said, over here there's a chidush that's incredible. There's another thing associated with the lesson of Hidbodidut, which we'll save for another time when we do a proper class on Hidbodidut, where there's an incredible revelation about what Rabbi Nathan wanted to run in the streets. And he said, I think I figured it all out. When Rabbi Nachman revealed it and Rabbi, Nata, Rabbi Nachman stopped him and he said, don't go speak to anybody because no one's going to understand what you just understood. In terms of what About Hidbodidut. And there's a reason for that. Because it's not about what you're, someone's going to tell you. It's only something you can experience for yourself. It's like if someone's telling you, I went to this amazing palace and you can see all these stones and all these things. You guys, are, you guys don't even understand what I just saw. It's filled with diamonds. Do you understand what it is to walk on a floor instead of it being sand by water? It's diamonds. You're talking about billions and billions and billions of square inches of value in a palace. Could you imagine this? And then the person's freaking out in front of your face. And you're saying, listen, that sounds amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed. I'm, I'm in love. I, I don't know what to say. But you will never understand what it is until you enter it. Until you enter this palace. Right? So that's part of a little bit of that story. But let's come back to the question on Hibodidut. Is it a one-on-one? -on -one? Okay? What is it? Does Hashem talk back? This is the way I understand this. And I'd be happy to hear if other people want to chime in as well. The way I understand Hibodidut and is it the way Hashem talks back? It's actually... The answer to that is yes, Hashem does talk back, first and foremost. The thing is that we just don't have hear ears that can hear properly. Now, the thing is that we need to tune our ears to this level of sound and this wavelength that sometimes doesn't manifest the sound. Sometimes it manifests in sight, and sometimes it manifests in reality, and sometimes it manifests in actions. So let me give an example. You're going to go into your Hidbodidut and you're going to talk. And the natural expression, the best way to start is to just start. Start, walk into a room and talk. There's different types of Hidbodidut. There's Hidbodidut when you enter into the room. Rabbi Nachman says it's good to start off with Hoda. To be able to start off with thanks, recognition to Hashem. Because it's very hard to show up and start asking for things whenever you don't recognize the things that you're grateful for. But everybody should do it on their own level. If your Hidbodidut is one minute a day and you talk to Hashem about the problems you have, go for it. If you want to make Hashem, if you want to open up the door that says Hashem is my therapist, go for it. Open up that door. You want to open up the door that says Hashem is going to be my financial advisor? Open up that door too. Whatever you want Hashem to do, Hashem will do for you. But here's where it gets interesting. The responses you're going to get from Hashem are going to come with time. Sometimes those responses are yes. Sometimes those responses are maybe. Sometimes those responses are no. And sometimes those responses, the most difficult response is the you need to wait. Right? Yeah. Because we always want everything now. And we talk about this a lot in the class. Because our natural inclination is like, I need more money now. I want my wife now. I want a refua now. I want this. Everything is now. 
But sometimes Hashem is saying, there's this concept of hamtem, this concept of waiting. It's a tshuva. It's just the process of waiting is the tshuva. Rabbi Nachman brings down in lesson six of the of Likutimaran, if you want to look at that. There's this idea that whenever you're going to be talking with Hashem, you need to start off by saying, I don't speak this language. So I need to start to develop a language of Ibodidut with you. So let me give you a couple practical examples of how you can start to hear Hashem back. Number one, if every decision you make, and you start to realize, like we said with your concept in the question that you brought up, is how do I find Hashem in my life? And how do I connect with Hashem? You're going to realize that Ibodidut is building a relationship. And a relationship is built, the best relationships are built over time. The most enthusiasm, the most connection. How many times do we show up to Ibodidut? We're tired. We don't really commit the time that Rabbi Nachman suggests to commit, which is about an hour a day, okay? Many breast lovers do much longer. Many breast lovers that are in trial, let's just say, are, are doing much less. It doesn't matter, everything's good because all of it is the effort and how you get started. But let's jump into it. If you're doing Ibodidut, right? There's also Ibodiduts where it's not just about saying thank you. There's also a concept of viduit varim. You have to be able to say to Hashem, I'm sorry for the things I've done. You go sure. deep into the crevices of the mistakes you've made and you say, how do I repair this? If you're working on your breeds, you have to be able to sit down with Hashem and you have to talk to him and you have to say, listen, this is, this is not a joke. This is a, this, is, this is a pretty serious one over here. And you start telling him, like a Yetzirah, and this is a very big Yetzirah, and this is one of the biggest Yetzirahs, Right? It could be Lashon Hara, it could be anything, but Yetzirah specifically of the Brit, right? This is a tikkun of, of something that every single man has, has experienced on a certain degree. Even married people fall in Brit. It's very complicated. It's not as simple as people make it out to be. The thing is that you need to talk to Hashem. You need to be able to express yourself. It's not something that's easy. And you go into this conversation, right? You do vidui dvarim. You start talking to Hashem. You say, you know what? I'm going to start off with saying thank you to Hashem for all the things I'm grateful for. This will build your appreciation. Do a little bit of breathing in advance. Change your mood. Today I was in a little bit of an agitated state because of some things that happens with my workers. I spent the first two minutes of my bodhidut, I don't typically do this, I used to do this a lot when I started. I spent the first two minutes of my bodhidut breathing. I realized it calmed me down. I can now speak to Hashem differently. That's a form of bodhidut? Yeah, 100%. Wow. There's sometimes Rabbi Nachman said I would walk into bodhidut and I wouldn't speak the whole wow. time. Sometimes you walk into an bodhidut, you can't even say a word to Hashem. Because you show up to speak to Hashem with every single day. So you're going to see Hashem, but today you're so frustrated, or you're so sad, or you're so depressed, or you're so angry, you can't even say a word. Wow. Sometimes you're just in flames and you want to be angry with Hashem. I would say express yourself, try to do it in the way that you find most respectful. <clears throat> but but the most important thing is to be a met, to be real, because there's no there's no BSing Hashem. Yeah. You cannot show up to Hashem and start talking to him and be like, listen, Hashem, you know, I was thinking there's this really interesting business deal and I would really love to do this deal, but listen, I don't know. And you start talking like you're talking to your business partner. Don't talk to Hashem like you're talking to your business partner. Be like, straight up, Hashem, here's the deal. And be real because in the moment when you're doing it, a lot of the time, we really need to remove layers off of our heart because we talk sometimes and we don't realize that we're talking to Hashem. Or sometimes you don't realize you're talking to your best friend. You know, I realized this recently, this year, I realized that I was doing Yibodidut for years in different types of methods, sometimes very long, sometimes very short, sometimes hours, sometimes two minutes. And I realized a lot of my Yibodidut, most of my Yibodidut, was just requesting things from Hashem. And then I had the idea, I was saying if, and this hit me when I was in the mikveh, I said if, Rabbi Nachman is teaching me that going to do it Bodidut is talking to Hashem like he's my best friend. And if I really want to talk to Hashem like he's my best friend and develop a relationship with Hashem as if he is really my best friend where I am yearning, I'm running to go speak to Hashem as if he's my best friend, as if I'm going to go hang out with him or go to a bar or go hang out or go watch a soccer game, right? Or literally go play a game or go play video games. Imagine I went and ran to Ibodidut like that. Now, I know I don't show up to Ibodidut like that, which means I'm broken, which means I don't see Hashem as my best friend. 
So already I'm starting off on a point where I'm saying, Hashem, I don't recognize it this way, but I'm showing up because Rabbi Nachman told me to show up. And I'm doing it because I know it's good and I see a lot of benefit. And I'm working on myself every single day and I see huge benefit in here, but I need to see you more. I know that I need more of this and I need your help. So then you start talking to him. And then you realize, and I realized, that my Hibadidut, 90% of my Hibadidut was asking things of Hashem. And then I said to myself this past year, recently, even more recently than this past year in the Jewish year, just that Jewish, the American, like the, the Gregorian calendar, let's say, right? I realized that 90% of my requests with Hashem were just requests. And then I said, can you imagine if you had a best friend and every single day, 90% of the time, when you were talking to your best friend, you were only asking things of him? Wow. It'd be a disastrous relationship. You probably wouldn't even have him as a friend. Now, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, <laughs> Baruch Hashem, we have... Obviously, Hashem, who is Maler Rachamim, and He is abundant beyond any words, and He's infinite, and He can be everything you want Him to be, and He can take even 100% requests. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of it. The th problem is, is that we don't learn how to feel, and we need to learn how to feel. We need to learn how to walk into an Ibodidut. Sometimes you'll actually do an Ibodidut, and this will hit you. Sometimes this happens to me. This happens to me now maybe half the time, we'll all talk. And then after a certain amount of time of me talking, I'll say, what have I been saying for the last hour? What have I been saying for the last 20 minutes? I've literally been just talking as if I was talking to somebody, like I needed to do it mechanically. I realized there was no emotion, there was no empathy, there was no, I didn't even shed a tear when I was talking to you about the difficulty of this situation. How much did I really mean it? And then after that, I'm silent by the embarrassment, by the lack of care, by the lack of like, I, I felt like I was in a meeting with someone, I was texting them to their face. It's like imagine having a conversation with your mom or your dad and you're texting and talking to them. Like, oh, by the way, you're gonna go to that party tonight? Yeah, give me a second. You know what I mean? Yeah. We do that, we do that so often. And then I, re and then I realize and then I say, now I'm going to begin again. And now we start to do it for real. And I say, you know what? I didn't really mean what I said. The truth is that, and then, and now this is where it gets interesting and here's the answer to this. We said Hashem does answer you. Hashem answers you in many different ways. He'll answer you with the solution you need for the problem in business by meeting a random person in a grocery store that week. Because you opened up a door that allowed for a shefa to come down into the world that Hashem now decided this person needs help with parasad. This is the perfect person that's going to help him out. He's going to meet him at Glatmart at 2 p.m. on Shabbat when he has to go run the errand because his mom asked him to run the last minute errand before Shabbat. And in the darkness of going to deal with, oh my God, I just had the longest day. I'm not in the mood to go deal with this favor right now or my wife, or my friend, or whatever it is, I know you do something or someone, Avraham, after he has his Brit Milah, in the most difficult day, in the heat of the sun, Hamten, Rabbi Nachman says in Lesson 6, he quotes from that passage, you're waiting, and then what does Hashem send him? He sends him messengers. Avraham helps everyone that's walking in the desert, he's always helping everybody, and Hashem sends on the day of the Brit Milah, Avraham could have said, I can't believe it Hashem, on the one day when I need rest, I'm sitting at the entrance of the tent because I need to relax. You first clear the desert so I don't need to help anyone. And now you decide, now I need to help someone. So now I need to get up and do Achnasat Ochim. Can you imagine how he could have taken it negatively? Instead, he says, what an opportunity to do a mitzvah. And then what does the Malachim bring him? The Yeshua, the Yitzchak is now going to be born. And this is the future generations of the Jewish people. The salvation from the destructiveness. From the heat of the Yitzhah, which Rabbi Nachman explains is the, the sun beating down on you, the heat of the day, he now gives you the salvation. Okay. And then your Hibodidut will be answered if you work your eyes, you put on the right glasses, you cleanse the way that you look at things, you pay attention, you listen to the conversations. You will recognize that the person that Hashem sent you only was sent to you, and these things happened because this, 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 and this movement happened. Because of the Torah you sat down, because of the Tefillah you had, because of the good deed you did. This is Hashem speaking back.
Now, you have to say to yourself, how do I speak God's language? Because I don't see this language all the time. So that's the work. That's the work of the Ibudut. It's to be able to see Hashem speak back to you. And it takes time. Sometimes Hashem will respond to you, by the way, in many different types of ways. Let me give you another example of how I'll answer to you. The thoughts you have. You know, sometimes I'll do Ibudut and I'll do this. I'll say, Hashem, I need to talk to you about my work. I'm doing this like very quickly. And I'll start talking about problems at work. And then I'll be like, I'm going to give you an answer. To, I'm going to give you time to respond, Hashem. And I sit there in silence and I wait and I pay attention to my thoughts. And ideas start hitting you. Maybe you should do this and expand your business this type of way and do this. And I start thinking about it. I'm like, so you're saying, and I start talking to Hashem. So you're saying, if I go and hire this person, this might solve my problem. And then I start thinking about it and I say, it's actually not a bad idea. Let me talk about it with these people tomorrow at work. And I'm like, I'm going to talk about it with my dad and my brother and I'm going to see what they think. And my sister, and I'm going to talk about it with other people. I'm going to bring up this idea with my friend. I'm going to pick it right. And then I start thinking about it a little bit more. I'm like, but actually, one minute, that actually doesn't make sense because of this. What do you think? And I sit there and I wait. That's another way Hashem hits you because Hashem hits you with nevuah. Rabbi Nachman says, when you do Hibodidut, Hashem hits you with prophecy. The ideas that are coming to you in, in your, in your Hibodidut are prophecy. You're going to be doing Hibodidut. And 20 minutes into your Hibodidut, Hashem's going to give you the answer of how to help your brother-in-law on something that he's struggling with that no one else can think of. But Hashem sent you the response in that moment because you had right now a Sha'et Chatzon, where you had a moment where Hashem was going to reveal to you greatness. There's another idea that you can also do. There's Ninyan and Braslev where you bring your books to your Hibodidut. You can bring books of Hashem to your Hibodidut. Sometimes you can ask a question, open up the book, see if you get an answer. I don't. I haven't been doing this this that much because I usually do that when I do longer Hibodidut, so I'll bring books with me. But you can do this 100%. If you're ever wondering and you have a question in your life, you don't need to go ask a, necessarily. I mean, my first suggestion would be go talk to Hashem. My second suggestion would be talk to Hashem and bring a book of a tzaddik with you. And then after that, go talk to a rabbi. Because sometimes people today think that they're going to go and they're going to ask a rabbi and the rabbi is going to be the answer to all their questions. They're kind of making a god out of the rabbi. Now, obviously, people are not, you know, doing idol worship whenever they do that. But there's a certain mentality to, I think this person is going to give me the answer. It's not like I, I need to have an answer to a halachic question, so I'm going to scour all of Shulchan Aruch to try to find my answer. Obviously, that's not the smartest way to spend your time, right? Because you can call a rabbi that knows this and he can direct you immediately to your answer. But if you're wondering if you should take this client or not take this client, people's first reaction is, let me go ask this rabbi. Or let me go ask this person for advice. The best person to ask for advice is Hashem. Go to Ibadidut first. You may get your answer. And by the way, it might be a much better answer. It might be an answer that's blessed as opposed to another answer that might be riddled with some forms of tests and other things because a person might be directing you and the person's not perfect. So they're directing you in their way that they think is fit. But it's not the most perfect way because only one person knows the perfect way and that's Hashem. So first go to Ibadidut. Then sometimes, and this happens all the time, all the time, I've had this happen many times. I sit down, I'll do Ibadidut, I'll have questions and then I'll start answering and I'll be like, listen, this has been really bothering me. Let's see what you say. So I'll see like I attach myself always to Rabbi Nachman when I do my Ibadidut and I'll open up and I'll start looking and I'll see over here. And I'll start looking at the page and my eyes are going to wander to different words. Wow. And then it'll hit me with an idea and then it's going to make me start thinking things. And then boom, Hashem is going to start hitting you with chokhmot and understandings of things that are happening now because he wanted you specifically to come to this page and specifically see this. And this is a form of hishtadut as well. So these are different types of ways of how Hashem can talk back and how we can attune our ears to, to the different things that Hashem is saying to be able to communicate with us. Um, we can obviously talk about all these subjects, like we can do classes on all these questions for like hours and hours and hours, but... I'll cut it off there to let other people also ask other questions. If someone wants to expand more, we can definitely expand more. Um, I 
had a quick question just you were like when you were talking about intelligence. Yeah. Um, what about like when you're learning? Like you just if you're sitting down, you wake up and you're sitting just to learn. Yeah. Um, can you count that as the ability? Like instead, like let's say, like I realized with my dad learns, he like when he's reading, he reads it like out loud. Yeah. So could it be okay, like that? Like you're learning with Hashem, like kind of a conversation. So if you do come up with questions and you're not learning with a specific person, can you like ask, I guess, that question towards Hashem and then yeah. the Nebuah or something that you were talking about? Um, this is um, this is my approach with that. So, limud is limud and hibodidut is hibodidut. That's the technical short answer. But here's where your limud can feel like hibodidut. So let, let me let me explain the way the the way that the people that have taught me how to learn in Breslev Chasidut, and this is the way I would recommend people to learn. Everything you're gonna pick up and learn is going to come because Hashem decides you can either, this is good for you or this is not good for you. And if Hashem wants, you can remove all your memory. In a very extreme example, you can have Alzheimer's, God forbid. Or if Hashem wants, you can understand and Hashem can open up your mind, like happened with very big tzaddikim, where they have an opening, they have a hara. And obviously this is very interesting from a scientific perspective as well, because we know that we only use such a minimal capacity of what our brain is actually capable of doing. And the, even according to different arguments, for people that are using either 2% or 3% or different arguments say we can use as much as 5% of our brains. It doesn't really matter what the number is. But could you imagine with those numbers if a person was using 6% of their brain? Right? Could you imagine if a person that normally uses 2 now can use 6? That's, photo that's beyond photographic memory. So that means any page you look at, you remember for the rest of your life. Like, if Hashem was, he can unlock that. He only lets you use 3% of your brain, technically according to what we can quantify. We can already do things with our brains that are incredible that science will never quantify. But that's a conversation for another time. Innovation. Well, Good stuff. I mean, there's things that are just, I mean, it's remarkable. I but was, Actually, I was reading a story that was amazing. Yeah? That was about that, that in Japan, or I don't know where, in which country, there was a, a man that had a brain surgery and that they removed part of his brain in something. Yeah. And when a few months later, yeah. he was, he became a brilliant man in mathematics yeah. that he never had before. This happened with people and with different say, languages also. Yeah, yeah languages is common. After being touched, and it was, it was a beautiful article because they were saying that people sometimes, you know, that take drugs or that go to different channels, you, it's like you build little roads in your brain that after you can have so much more um, connection with, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about with Hashem. You know, sometimes we think that you imagine this man that has a surgery and that find himself a few months later that becomes a genius in mathematics. You know, we don't know, how, you know, sometimes by touching or by, affect, you know, by doing something in your brain or it can affect your... Um, you know, your ability. It says it in the Torah that the neshama is in the brain, right? It lies in the head. So yeah. Really messing there's, with different, the there's different arguments for the how the neshama is essentially Split. manifest and stuff. Many people ha say that it's the head, it's the mochin. Many people say that it's the light around the head. Some people say it slightly, slightly dips into the head. But keep in mind, we're also talking about something that's... Um, Spiritual. Exactly. We're but talking about also, something that's non-material. But it could go with psychology as well. But there is but there is this aspect of duality where there's this... 
non-material we don't want to get too much into a class about physics and, and philosophy and stuff like that we could have those types of conversations <laughs> but we we could and, and they're interesting but um but look in, in the end we won't a lot of these things we will not have answers to right so the question is can someone prove to me physically how the nishama is uh is either dipping into the brain or around the brain right no but there's people on a jewish mystical level people that are mekubalim that have the ability by understanding, and, for, and this is actually coming up in, in these parshot right now, in Yitro and Mishpatim, we learn about the Sod of Gilgulim, and we learn about the Sod of Chochmat HaPartzuf, right? And Rabbi Shimon Baruch explains in the Zohar, the teachings that explain how to read people's faces, right? By the hairs on the person's beard, or the color of the person's eye, the hairs on the eyebrows, the hairline, things like that. You can study and you can learn about a person's life, a person's nishama, right? So these are things that cannot be quantified by science. How could it be that you have this rabbi that enters the room, and I've seen this thing, and, and I've seen this literally in my own life, I've seen people that can do this. Well, they'll look at you and they'll talk to you and they look at your face and they start telling you things about your life and there's no way on earth that they know you or they can know anything like that. How can you explain that by sign? You can't, right? So to be last one. It happens all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> True. Well, that, so that, that's the thing. So, so we were going into this, this question that you had right about, about the learning um, and, and, and how is this connected to it? But dude, so here's a, here's a piece of advice in a, in a way I understand learning. Um, Hashem can make us understand and not understand whatever He wants. Back to the very beginning principle that we said in the beginning of this class, which is that every decision you're going to make, it's either for yourself or it's for Hashem. Or it's for yourself if you're directed with Hashem, or it could be for someone else. But let's just say it's either for the side of Ketushar, it's for the side of Tumah. In other words, you're either bringing glory to Hashem, or you're doing something for Hashem, or you're not doing it for Hashem. Now the question is, why are you sitting down to learn? When you sit down and you learn, are you learning because... You're about to go give a lecture in front of people and you want kavod and you want honor. Are you about to sit down and learn because you want to share teachings of a tzaddik? I, by the way, I, I sit down and I, and, I, and I give a class or we sit down and we do classes sometimes, right? Even though I don't feel like I have a status that I can be able to give people classes and teach people and things like that. But we sit down and I share with you words of tzaddikim, holy tzaddikim, specifically Rabbi Nachman Abrasev, right? But there's never this impression where I feel like I'm the one that's imparting wisdom on people or anything like that. I do though, on a certain level, receive a certain amount of kabod that I sit here and I'm the one speaking, and I feel like I have some sort of special wisdom that I'm imparting on people, on a certain level. And I'm honest about that, and I understand that, and I talk to Hashem about that in my Buddhadut. I tell him, is it right that I'm sitting there in front of people and talking to people when I myself have so many problems, right? But then maybe I'm gonna sit in the room and I'm gonna share something because I'm doing it really only to share the idea of Rabbi Nachman because these are holy words that help people do truba. And these are ideas that help people become better people and achieve their purpose in life. Maybe someone's going to hear something that's going to change their life or maybe it'll help someone else. So who am I to say? So yes, I do show up and yes, I do have baggage that I bring to the table. But I come with the perspective, my, the perspective that I try to aim at every single time. I do always a little bit before I do a class and I always talk to Hashem every day about this, especially before and after classes. And I always have this idea. When you sit down and you learn, the first words that come out of your mouth when you're studying Gemara, Halacha, Zohar, Chumash, Mishnah, doesn't matter. First words are, Hashem, I'm about to study Torah. Give me the strength to study this Lashem Shemaim. That it should not have any form of negative energy that pulls on it. That I don't study because I receive honor from people, or that because I want to be smart, or because I want to make money, or because I want to try to impart wisdom on people. I'm doing this because this is what you wanted of me. That this is going to help prepare my Neshama. It's going to help direct me, like in lesson one, to the awe of the Torah, that it's going to show me the right direction in life. Look at the beautiful words in lesson one. Your father said this on Shabbat, by the way. Shlita. <laughs> Shlita. 
because every single Jew, because the Jewish man, but the Jewish person, right? The man and the woman, he has to always look. Histakel is a word of looking, but with your mind. It's not just ro'eh, it's mistakel. It's from the word of sechel. It's using your mind to look. It's like looking into the pnimiut of something. To look into the sechel of every single matter that happens in your life. And to attach himself to the chokhmah. And also the sechel in the mind of every single item and every single person and every single item and every single thing that's happening. So that essentially Hashem will enlighten and give him, right? That he'll get this sechel and he'll get this light now because he looked at things. And now he'll get close to Hashem because of this. So we were actually discussing this um, in different types of conversations with people recently this week. I was actually speaking specifically about this because, you know, you learn, learn a Torah and then it comes to apply itself in reality. We do things and we interact with things and things happen in our life. And I'll come back to answer your question. I promise. I do this thing too much where I go into these crazy parentheses, but they're all good. Um, we do this thing in life where things are happening to us and we forget that there's these objective things that are that are universal for example mitzvah uh explains and is famous for having said that it is a mitzvah to be always happy to be always now everybody in this world there's not a single human being on earth that doesn't want to have happiness to find happiness to be in a state of happiness to achieve happiness, to understand happiness. So the thing is, right, 99% of people today, 99% of people today will say as a response to something that happens to them, right, I'm not happy because, or this would make me happier, or I would be happier today would have been like this, or I wouldn't have gotten angry today if it wasn't for this person or this thing or this event. And we always attribute it to other things. Now, we obviously know that simcha and happiness and all the good character traits and all the things that make us a piece of Hashem come from within us. So they're completely unrelated from the things that are happening in our lives. Now, this is how you become the 1%. This is how you become the percent of a 1%. I already even say a percent of a percent of a percent. A percent. Of a percent. And we can go forever because very few people tap into this mentality consistently. Which is that you get a phone call that would normally aggravate you, or a difficult circumstance that would normally upset you, or a circumstance that would scare you, and it doesn't change you, and you are happy. Because the event that's happening to you is good by the grace of Hashem. It is only good. It is the only thing that should have ever happened to you. There is not a better decision on earth than what happened to you, which is very tough, especially when you get into situations when you talk about people that get sicknesses, God forbid, sure. right? And we get into these circumstances where we have questions for God. And just as a simple little point here, because I don't want to go into so many of those dark places, but it's important to understand that a lot of the time with those questions, we shouldn't try to delve too much into the answers. The simplest answer sometimes is that Hashem is doing the best and He's doing exactly what's right in this world is the best answer. Yeah. Because when we try to give answers, for example, behind, and we could, and we could talk, and we can share some pieces of Torah, especially in the right context, you know, about maybe why, God forbid, we try to rationalize a Holocaust or why a person passing away or whatever the situation is. We can try, 
but we give these 10 cent answers to try to understand Hashem. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because all these things that we're doing, we're doing in a way that are diminishing Hashem and they're removing Hashem's glory. But Hashem actually wants to get us into a place where we magnify His glory, we magnify His kabod in the world, right? And so we can go on to this for, for a lot longer. We can talk about a lot of these subjects and, and I'm happy to, to continue with them. But, you know, when I'm saying go to this learning and sit down in front of the book and say, Hashem, listen, I'm standing over here right now. I'm praying before I start. <clears throat> I do a little tefillah before I learn where I say, Hashem, let the words of the Torah that I'm reading be pure. Let them be a met. Teach me and let me understand what I need to understand from this. Help this change my midot and help this change this world. This is doing a little bit of yidbodidut when you learn. Therefore, when now you sit down and when you learn, and when you're done learning, you say, Hashem, now let me apply these learnings. That's why Rabbi Nathan compiled Likutei Tefilot for Likutei Maran. So when you open up and you study Likutei Maran and you study, then after that you take Likutei Tefilot and then you read Likutei Tefilot, you now get to apply and do your Hishtad Lut and your Tefilot to Hashem on the things that you just learned and how you're going to work on yourself. Those things that are happening to us in our lives and these things that are happening and these things that are coming, they're going to come to you based on the things that you learn. Look at the way that, the, that this lesson is. Look at the things that it's saying. To look at the Sechel Shibichol Dabar. Look at these ideas. 99% of people are going to have circumstances that are dealt to them and they're going to be reactive. It doesn't change your essence. You as a Jew, you have within you happiness. You have within you Hashem. You have within yourself greatness. You have within yourself Nachat. You have yourself Hod. You have all the Sfirot. You have Netzach. You have, vic you have victory. You're a great victor. You're a champion. You're the champion greater than anyone else. You have to say that the whole world was built just for me. As Rabbi Nachman says, I think it's lesson, lesson five. It's like, Kola Olam lo nivra ela bishvili. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a famous quote. There's many songs done on it. I think Yishar Ibo has a song on it, right? And it's quoted from a Gemara, I think in Sanhedrin, I think if I'm not mistaken. Um, every man needs to think as if the world was created just for him. The world was created just for me. Within me is an Ishama Elokit, right? Every single morning we say, Elokan Ishama Shnatatabit Teorahi, Hashem gave me an Ishama and it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's pure. The inner essence of yourself is the Tzadik. Rabbi Nachman has another lesson in Nikutimon that says that every person has the Tzadik within themselves. And this tzaddik is this light that's burning that needs to constantly find itself. But the klipot and the, and the test, they completely envelop it and they shut down this light. And the more and more we do it, the more and more we introspect and we look at ourselves, the more and more we get closer to Hashem, the more and more we get closer to finding out who we are, the more and more we get closer to our purpose. This is how we achieve our tikkun. This is how whenever you speak to a friend with the right mentality, with the right humility, with the right connection to Hashem, a person can ask you a question and you can give them an answer that's rooted in Kedusha. That a person's going to ask for life advice or a question of whatever it is, and you're going to know how to direct them. You're going to speak, not because you think that you're going to have wisdom, but Hashem is going to place within you because you're a vessel now for Kedusha, an ability to help out someone else. And so when you sit down and you learn, my mentality behind learning is that I'm not sitting down necessarily particularly or whatever in circumstances to be in a yeshiva to say, I finished Shas this year. If a person finishes Shas this year, but is not able to apply what's in Shas, is it worth something? Yes. Is it worth the maximum capacity of what it could be? No. And is it achieving a reparation on the neshama? To a some degree, yes. And to some degree, no. And if Hashem wants to remove, and if a person's goal in this world is to just study, 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 right? Which isn't the only purpose why we're on this earth. We know that we have to come into this world from Maasi. We're in the world of action. So we have to bring it down and draw it from up here into this world of Asiya. So if Hashem's putting us here, Pray to Hashem when you learn that the things that you learn should become applicable. 
that they're learnt in their emet, that when you pick up a book, they should have real yira, that Hashem teaches you things that are real. Because there's a lot of times you're gonna read something in a book and it's not gonna, either you might not connect, it might not be understood easily, you might misunderstand it, or it might lead you into a difficulty, it might lead you into something that's, it has to be sweet, it has to be taught, it has to bring bracha. Just opening up and reading books like this, this is also of the degree of the Zohar because this is something very, very special, but just reading this will repair your life. Literally just opening it up and reading it. I read it also, I was reading it the other day just because I needed to feel calm. I was learning in lesson one, it says, and it quotes from the Gemara, that if you have a difficulty in life, if you're being tested by the Tzara, because he talks about how it's this incredible fire, he quotes from the Gemara, it says, take the, go study Torah because this is how you take the Yitzhara essentially to the Beit Midrash, right? Which is a famous concept in Judaism, we learn from El Chachamim. So I did that and I was pressed with something difficult and I took an, a simple application and I went and I sat down and I learned and it calmed me down. It soothed me. It brought me peace, it brought me consolation, it brought me help. You can have a prompt for anything, by the way, and you can go sit down and learn a piece of Torah, and it will bring you that help. And by the way, the healing that you will receive will come of the magnitude of the doctor that's prescribing the medicine. Come on, that's Gishmar. Yeah, so if you're dealing with something that you have a very, very big problem, not every book and every tzaddik can offer you a solution. So for example, if let's say a person's dealing with the most difficult issue, let's say a person, this is, I mean, these, these are difficult conversations, but let me, let me try to be as simple as possible. This is my opinion. So this is where, this is where I say something that I, I haven't read in a book, but many people that think the same, that study the same way that I study would think the same thing. If a person, God forbid, is faced with a specific disease that they don't know how to fix it, they don't know how to cure it, they don't know how to give a, a solution for this, right? A person needs a doctor, in fact, the best doctor to be able to heal that. So a person, if they were tasked with the opportunity of finding the best doctor on earth, and that person was able to do the best surgery, and every person said you should do the surgery, that it would choose unequivocally the best doctor in the world, right? Okay. So spiritually, it's the exact same thing. Spiritually, we have problems. These are things that we break. There are things, these are stains on our neshama. These are difficulties. These are tests. These are levels we need to go by. And we need mastery. We need a person that says, I know what level seven of your life looks like. And to pass level seven, you need to do this, this, and this to get to level eight so that you can meet your wife. And by the way, on level eight, there's also a car crash, God forbid. And there's also a fight with your mom, God forbid, right? And there's all of these things that are happening, but it's part of the growth. It's part of a tikkun. And we don't know what's on level eight. We don't know what's on level nine. And we don't know what's on level 10. And all, all those levels, by the way, they change within the blink of an eye. With one tefillah, with one scream to Hashem, with one ayeh, with one good thought, with one good deed. Your whole aspect of how you live, depending on how much you want to bring Hashem into your life, can change the whole world. Right? The whole world was not built except for the purpose for me, right? This idea that the whole world depends on me. You can literally, with just you, you can change the whole world. Just you, you can bring Mashiach. Just you. But we don't believe that, right? So that's like Imunah versus Shadlut. We don't believe that we can bring the Mashiach, right? Because if we did, let's say we knew that tonight, if you sat down in your room and you prayed between the hours of 2 and 3 a.m. for one hour with everything you've got, Everything. I'm talking about as if you were running on a soccer pitch and you were sweating it out and running as hard as you could, except you were in a room screaming to Hashem. Words. Let's say if you could do that for one hour, you knew that right there you could read the Mashiach. If you believe that 100%, would you not do that? Of course we'd do it. Yeah. But the thing is, we don't believe that. But you know what you can do? You could bring the Mashiach if you had one moment like that for one second. But we actually don't believe it. That's the craziest thing. Yeah. I'm literally saying it and we don't believe it. We literally don't believe it. 
Bezrat Hashem, you know, we have to get to this place where we get this 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 light, this 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 emanation that comes from above, this this uh well, we're not gonna get into mystical capitalistic terms, but we get to this point where we bring Yeshubadat, right? You get this this chen, you get this grace of Hashem, this light that's brought down from the world, because you decide to include Hashem in everything you do. You decide, I mean, it's the main thing for sure of the class, and it's really the theme of any class, and everything you're going to do, you have to bring Hashem into everything you do, but it's much more difficult in application than it is in thought. It's very difficult to sit down and say, you know what, uh, he said something kind of interesting, I haven't been doing Hibodiyut, let me give Hibodiyut a real shot. Let me go spend five minutes today to do Hibodiyut. I promise you, I promise you that it'll be the hardest thing of all time. And I guarantee you this, if it was easy, Ask yourself if you did it right. And if you did it right, then see how many days you can do that. Because the Yetzirah might give you a freebie, or might give you two, or might give you three, because he's going to try to checkmate you on day four. Mm -hmm. Right? But it's not important if you did it good or not good. Just keep, keep showing up. Yeah. Keep showing up. Keep trying. That's, keep doing it again and again. And keep praying. And keep asking. And keep saying <laughs> thank you. You have to keep showing up. I'm telling you, if you do it, yeah. you have to just do it and say, it's important, it's not the quality. Yeah, it's important, but it's to be, to persevere and consistent. That's yeah, because, because Hashem, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, but that, that idea, that, that is the main idea, because whenever you're gonna be dealt with these problems and you wanna be happy, right? Let's go back to the other example. 99% of people, they're gonna say, I'm not happy because of this. Or I'm, you, you might just not be happy. You might go home and be like, dude, I've, I've been looking for a wife for a long time. I'm, I don't have money. I, I keep on getting in fights with these people. It doesn't matter. Everybody has their problems. Every single person has problems. This whole Torah is built as a healing for people that fell, right? Yeah. It's, it's literally a mastery of when you're down, how to get up, okay? And he has the utmost compassion to the people that are down. The thing is though, when you're in that 99 percentile and the things are happening to you in your life, say to yourself, I have a responsibility here that I have to find Hashem here because if I'm going to just get angry because I didn't make my money or I didn't get my check today or I didn't get this or I didn't get that, then your response is always going to be, I'm not happy because, as opposed to, I'm happy, but I need to have a conversation with you, Hashem, because this that's happening to me in my life right now is a little bit difficult and I need to talk with you about it. I need to express myself. I need to express my emotions. I need to feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I want to talk to you in a real way. I want to really feel. I want to really talk to you. Dude, it takes a lot of time. I'm going to be honest with you. It takes a lot of time to get to a level where you feel comfortable and you show up to an Ibodidut real, where you take off these garments and these layers of years of things that have happened to you in your life and you can sit down and you can really sit there in a moment. Sometimes we have these little moments where you sit down and you can really cry, where you have a Rosh Hashanah prayer and you're sitting there and you realize the magnitude of maybe some things you've done wrong and you say to yourself, wow, I really feel here that I messed up and I could do so much better and you really cry and you really pray. We have those moments sometimes. We need to be able to tap into those moments more often. We need to pray to Hashem, why don't I have that moment? There are people that I've seen pray. I see people pray basic prayers. I see some breast lovers that I know and I've seen, I've seen them in Uman and things like that. I see the way they pray. I see it, it's written on their face. They don't say a single word, they don't give a single class. They don't give any advice to people, they don't rebuke a single human being. They have no words to say, they have a big smile on their face and they're happy that they're breathing in this moment and they're happy and they just sit down and they're just happy to open up the book and read another piece of advice. And then they look at it and they say, wow, thank you Hashem. And they go dance and they go sing and they say thank you to Hashem for the one piece of Torah that they learned and then they go apply that Torah and they don't even care if they're making money or not in the next 25 minutes or 25 days. It's a level in where these people are so secluded 
from having to do a hishtadlut, where they're so in, encompassed in a light of emunah, that why on earth would Hashem put this person to go out and work? Because Hashem enjoys this person's company so much. Imagine you, if you had your best friend and you guys were having the best time, how unhappy would you be to have him leave? That's how Hashem feels whenever the tzaddikim are with, that, with Hashem's presence. Sometimes that presence doesn't look good. Right? We're talking about perspective before the class. You might get into a circumstance where you look at someone. Oh man, I have some stories about this, but I don't want to make this class go forever. Someone might look at a circumstance and they might be like, what a misken. Simplest example I could think of off the top of my head is that if an alien were to come down and look at a person working out in a gym, they would be like, what the hell is this person doing? <laughs> right? He's sweating. He's lifting things that are heavy. He's like, dude, what is, dude, what is going on, bro? And he's doing it over and over again, day after day, multiple times a day and pushing harder. He's like, it doesn't make any sense. He's not even comfortable. Some people could look at something and they'll just be like, dude, that makes no sense. And then another person bro, can be experiencing something that's, that's complete enlightenment. The Jews only sang after they got into the sea. After they were scared that they thought they were going to die, that they thought they were going to go back to Egypt, that they thought that they weren't going to make it. You have emunah, you're tested, and then you sing. Because then Hashem clarifies Himself to you. But you need to have this formula where Hashem's going to deal you the test. That's Hashem saying, I'm here, I'm with you, let's talk, let's do a meeting. Then you show up, you have the conversation, you meet with Him, that's you showing up and you saying, I'm going to do my part and I'm going to build a relationship with you. And then Hashem will then settle the circumstances that are happening to you in your life and show you. And that's the opening of Yam Suf. And now the thing is, we don't realize the fact that I'm sitting here with a pen and paper and I put this piece of paper, I put this class together. This is as big of a miracle as Hashem splitting the sea. We don't realize that you going home and having a conversation with your brother or your sister, or your friend or your wife is as big as Hashem splitting the sea. That the car accident that you almost got into is as big as Hashem splitting the sea. But if you really thought, as the Ben Chai would say, as a machshavat to have whenever you read the Az Yashir every single day, to believe as if you were actually walking, Rabbi Nathan brings it up in Likutei Achot, to believe as if you were walking with pure joy and simcha, as if you yourself were saved, that there was the cliff on one end, the mitzchim coming in on the other end, and now you were saved and the water splits and now you're being saved by Hashem. To have that feeling, that, that salvation that Hashem is there. It's not a muscle that's going to be built today. You can't go bench press 500 pounds right now. You can't go bench press even 100 pounds maybe right now. But you start off with 25 pounds. You start off with 26 pounds, 27 pounds, 30 pounds. Start building a little bit of a weight. And tell Hashem, Hashem, listen, I can pick up 25 of this. So you pick up the remaining two. So let's do 27 today. And see what happens. What a fitness. Yeah, you'll see. And then you'll see how your muscles grow. It's a muscle. You know how people like... You know what's actually crazy? Let's end with this. And unless people have other questions they want to stay, we can do this for as long as people want. I, I, I'm here all night. Um, people look at people, they'll be like, wow, this person is an expert in mathematics. Look at what he did. He studied math as a kid. His parents forced him to study with tutors whenever he was two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He went to the best elementary schools. He went to the best high schools. He went to the best university. He then got a PhD. And then he worked at... NASA, he worked for SpaceX, and look at the things that this guy does. Look at his brain in mathematics. They'll look at this person, they'll be like, this is 35 years of mathematics in front of my face. He is an expert in mathematics. Hidbodidut is the same thing. Hidbodidut, expertise in Hidbodidut, I'll tell you something else. It's not quantifiable like mathematics, but your relationship with Hashem, yes, you might have a relationship with Hashem if you pick up books of Torah, that's relationship of Hashem whenever you say, I'm opening up the door if I'm going to study Torah now. 
You say, I'm going to do Shacharit Min Charvit. This is the door where you open up. You say, right now, I'm going to enter into the, the typical three prayers that I have to do per day. When you enter into a room that's called Tibodidut, it's unknown. It's a pitch black room. It's a pitch black room that you decide when you want to turn on the light and you decide where you want to go. And the room, by the way, is infinite. So you can go anywhere. There's no lines for it. It's not like any other tefillah. There's no set areas. For example, there's Baruch Shama, there's Yishtabak, there's certain times, there's certain ways. Hidbodidut is an infinite project. It is infinite. It's a different path. It's a completely different path. There is no Yetzirah in Hidbodidut. In true Hidbodidut. Because it is a path that the Yetzirah doesn't know where to find you. You're lost in the forest. He cannot find you anymore. Shacharit, he knows the words you're going to say. He knows you're going to say, Baruch Shamar Vaya Aolam. He knows I'm going to test him right now because he's tired. He knows that. Hidbodidut, he cannot find you at all. But to get to that place, you have to find a way into this forest. Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman, a famous breast lover, who was the son of the main best friend and one of the main students of Rabbi Natan, of Breslev, okay? Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman used to tell his students, I'm going to go do Hidbodidut in this forest. And it was very well known in Ukraine in this forest that he went and did Hidbodidut, that it was a very, very scary and dangerous forest. And they used to ask him, why? Why don't you go here? Or why don't you go pray here? Why he would travel a long time to get to this forest. He says, because I want to be in this state where I constantly need Hashem to help me. It's not like where people think halakhically, should I put myself in a place of danger? Where you think about Rabbi Nachman at the age of three years old, four years old, six years old, he used to go out on a boat in the middle of the lake without knowing how to paddle. And say, Hashem, please, I need to get back to shore. I don't know how to get back to shore. To put the weight on Hashem. This is a level of tzaddikim that's not like, we don't discuss this when we discuss halakha, this is Kodesh Kedashim. This is a level above what halakha is. They take things upon themselves that are not inscribed in halakha. Halakha is a, of this world. These people are living in a world above this world. We have to get to these types of places. We have to get to this type of a hishtadlut, where it's a tzfilah, where it's a hidbodidut. That is a real hishtadlut. That's an answer that is not given in traditional halakha. But this is where people need to go. Because for a breast liver, the lowest level that a person should start is emunah. Many people dream that their highest level should be the level of emunah. Because in the first thing that a Breslover is going to do, according to our Min Hagim, in the way that we learn and what we study from Arav, is that the first thing we do, we take it immediately to Hashem. From a simple thing to even a bracha of shakol. You take a cup, there's Breslovers that used to take the idea from Bikurim. They used to be able to sit down and they used to say, right now I'm going to do a bracha, Hashem, this shakol is only for you. I'm giving you this as a gift, Hashem. This is your water. I'm doing this right now to give grace to you. And they sit there and they meditate before. And they say the bracha with all their koach. I was telling someone today that Rabbi Israel Kardunar, the teacher of Rabbi Israel Dovo Deser, was the Balapetek in Boslev. People became Balet Shuva and people were Gerim, people that were Goyim. They converted to become Jews from just looking at the face of Rabbi Israel Kardunar. Because his light, his face shined with so much light. That's crazy. And I'll tell you another thing. There were people that were mit nagdim. There was a famous mit naged that became a Braslev or Hasid under Rabbi Israel because he saw the way Rabbi Israel did netilat yadayim. So you would say, how on earth can a mit naged do? Do he's against Hasidut? He's a person that studies Torah all day long. He probably studies Gemara. He probably studies Halacha all day long. And he became now a Braslev or Hasid because he decided that he saw this man do netilat, a sadiq do netilat, 
And because he saw the way that this guy did Netilat, he said, I'm going to become a breast lover. Could you imagine the Netilat that the person did? To take a person that has so much hatred towards the Chassiyut and the Bal Shantov and the teachings that come out of this form of study and mysticism, to now say, I'm going to become and study everything that they do by the way that he did Netilat. It's a level in where they do mitzvot that their bones shake in front of Hashem. So, Bezat Hashem, I, uh, I hope and I, and I give and everybody can chill. I'll, I'll keep this recording for those that want to continue listening, but other people can jump in. We can chat a little bit more. But for those that want to go, I want to give Bezat Hashem a bracha that everything that we do, we attach ourselves to the tzaddikim sodolam. We attach ourselves to tzaddikim that we feel attached to, tzaddikim that we read their books, attach yourself to David Amelach, to read Attach yourself to Hashem primarily in everything that you do and bring Hashem into everything that you do because any person, and this is a guarantee, any person that takes this prescription has never ever in the history of the Jewish people been failed by this. I guarantee that if you study what he is saying here and you take the advice of what he is saying here, I guarantee you that you will achieve everything that you thought was even, that was not even possible you will do your tikkun in this world and you will do things that you not only not thought was even possible, but you will achieve things beyond your wildest dreams. Amen. So, Bezat Hashem, may we have the strength in being able to do this, to, to stay humble, to stay low, to be, to be recognition in front of Hashem's glory. Just to always have this understanding. It's something that I just can't keep on thinking about enough because I'm telling you, this is really the, the essence of it. This wow. is really the essence of it. So yeah, whoever, whoever needs to go, if people want to grab some food, if people want to have other questions, we can chill and talk more. Can you connect this class a little bit with Tubishvat? Tubishvat. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, Tubishvat. I have a lot of mystical ideas that are hitting my head, but I don't want to go in the mystical route. Um, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> oh my God. Tubishvat, um, Tubishvat, Tubishvat. Yeah, look, um, I mean, Tubishvat just passed us, but Tubishvat, so there's an interesting argument for Tubishvat of whether Tubishvat is, is the new year for the trees, right? And in the writings of the Chachamim, there's a reference to one tree in singularity, which is why they want to go the mystical route, which is actually referencing the tree in the Gan Eden, essentially, which is the original tree, which is the original, this is why in Tubishvat people have the capacity to do the tikkun of Adam Arishon's first sin. That's the tree Ganeden, the one from Adam Adamathala? Why is it Ganeden? It caused so much problems. What? Why is that tree Ganeden? The tree doesn't have problem. The tree itself is the tree between good and evil. It has it has within it decisions, but within the tree, ooh, this is this is, a, this, is a deep, this is a deep one. Look, we can go we can go deep with it. But in but in short, the in short the idea of um, in short, the idea from from Tubishvat is that it's a holiday for the trees. It's the Rosh Hashanah for the trees. We said there's a machloket. Beit Shammai essentially says that it's the first day of the month of Shvat, and Beit Hillel says that it's the fifteenth of the month of Shvat, and we follow Beit Hillel. So we we follow it obviously on Tubishvat Tet Vav, which is fifteen of Shvat on the fifteenth day of the month. Now. On this holiday, what are the special things that we can do? The goal and the idea, and there's a Seudav Da'izal, which we did, which was very special and very nice. Lots of people could do lots of things with it. But the main idea is to do as many blessings on as many fruits as possible. What's the purpose of this? It's to elevate the Nishamot and to elevate the sparks and to, and to bring Kavod to, towards this new year and to all the blessings of, of, these special, of these special fruits and all those things and the gratitude towards the fruits and the trees that bear them. There's this really special Inyan that 
the tree is the one that we're celebrating and crowning, but we are celebrating by doing blessings, not on trees and planting trees. We actually do that at different points in the year. Instead, we are eating fruits. And so this is an interesting idea and it's an interesting thought, but sometimes the biggest blessing is not something that directly comes from whatever we are and whatever we have, but from the offspring of what we bring to it. So that's why sometimes we were talking about before the class, we're going to have questions and sometimes we don't have the answers directly for our questions. But sometimes the important point is to be able to go through a specific journey to a specific route. Sometimes for a parent, the greatest blessing that you can have for a parent is to be able to see the honor or the greatness or the potential of their child become something great or for them to do what they're meant to do in this world. That's the honor of the tree, is to see the honor of the fruit. Wow. And that's why the biggest culmination, in my opinion, and the biggest celebration of the tree and crowning the tree as the king is by giving respect to the fruit. The truth is that the only reason why Rabbi Nachman says, Rabbi Nachman says, you guys need me and the whole world needs me. But he says, I also need you. Because there's this idea that without us bringing the tzaddik to ask for help or to engage with the tzaddik, if I don't ask for help with what I'm doing, or if I don't ask for advice, or if I don't ask for direction, or if I don't have my math tutor, I don't know where to start. If I don't have my gym trainer, I don't know where to start with working out. So there's this idea of getting help. Now Hashem obviously is the source of all information and the source of all help, but Hashem purposefully put the tzaddikim on this earth and in these circumstances, because their only goal, especially the highest level tzaddikim, the tzaddikim sudalam, when we talk about this magnitude, only in this world to be able to bring the whole neshamot of Abba Yisrael back to Hashem. This is the goal of Moshe Rabbeinu. This is why Moshe's whole story, go read the Humash, Bipshat, go read it in simplicity, and you will see that the whole story of literally the whole Humash is to bring the Jewish people back to Hashem. And it's all of Moshe's goal. It's not about Moshe Rabbeinu sitting down and saying, I studied the most Torah and I studied this and I did that and this story and that story and I did the most miracles. And that's all it is. That's all it is. So. Shkayach. Hashem. Hashem. Hashem.